Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing the weird science behind your irrational money decisions. So we just chose weird science because we, <laughs> we thought that was a fun term. Did you ever watch the actual uh, movie from, from the 80s, Weird Science? It's been a long time, but yes. Uh, John Hughes, it's a classic, man. Uh, it's, it reminds me of all those classic 80s, 90s movies. Most notably Breakfast Club. Yeah. I think that's all I can name, actually. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to. That's all I know. Like They don't make comedies like that anymore. Yeah, so we are getting a little nerdy with it. We are talking about behavioral science. Uh, within this episode, we're talking about the forces that cause us to do the things that we do with our money. Uh, I'm looking forward to this episode, Joel. But first, I wanted to share with you that I am fully optimized when it comes to the credit cards that I now carry in my wallet. I started down this optimization path, I guess, a few months ago because we were uh, talking about the different uh, cards that we carry in our wallet. There's actually an article up on the site that we've updated to reflect what I'm about to say. Uh, but at the time, I was only rolling with two credit cards, basically, right? The uh, Blue Cash Preferred, which I had used for all of my in-person purchases, and then the uh, City Double Cash card for all of my online purchases. I like to keep it nice and simple. But through the process of talking through the different cards that we use, you turned me on to the Costco Anywhere Visa card, where you you're earning 
specifically at gas stations. Which it, it comes in even more handy right now with gas prices oh being gosh. where they are. Yeah. Uh, but then that got me thinking, okay, so I've got a card that's optimized for grocery stores. Joel's got this uh, card that's optimized for gas. The only other instances where I'm using a card in person are restaurants. So that set me down this rabbit trail of trying to figure out, okay, what credit card is out there that is offering the most cash back? Uh, on restaurants with a card that doesn't have an annual fee, and I found it. It is the U.S. Bank Altitude Go card. Okay. And they are all. It's kind of a yeah. It's kind of obscure. Like you, you saw it the other day, and you're like, is that a Target card? <laughs> it, it does look <laughs> like it's, it. It's red, and it kind of has like a little white circle thing on it. However, they pay four uh, percent at restaurants, and so instead of I was taking the uh, the kind of the simple path, but no longer. I am obviously still rocking the six percent with the blue cash preferred at grocery stores. I'm rocking the U.S. Bank Altitude Go, earning four percent at restaurants, and, and now I applied and also got the Costco Anywhere Visa for all of my gas purchases, and of course the the City Double Cash for all of my online purchases. That's a mouthful. There you go. <laughs> hey, well, I think, but uh, but it is working for me, and I am so stoked because I am not all about you know like there are some cards where they they change the category. And it's like, okay, you have to spend this card every three months. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, me I'm, neither. But I want, I am down to figure it out once and to stick with it as long as they continue, you know, with those offerings. Yeah. And I think, you know, finding a sweet spot for you with how many credit cards you have is a good thing. And for some people too, it is simple enough and they're getting enough rewards where it's like, cool, I can stick to this plan. Some people want to optimize to the fullest and they want to have seven or eight cards and they're constantly switching things up based on rotating categories and stuff like that. It really comes down to how much you want to optimize the rewards that you're getting on the credit cards that you have in your wallet. And I think you found a sweet spot. Like, I agree. I think three to four cards. Three cards, you know, on my person at any point in time. Yeah. yeah, That I am willing to do. And hopefully that can help some of our listeners out there. Yeah. And if you make it too complicated, if you optimize too hard, you're liable to get things mixed up. And yeah. uh, And so, yeah, you want to make sure that you only go as complex as your little brain can handle. My brain (laughs) is the size of like dinosaurs. And so I just, uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to overcomplicate things. Three credit cards for me is as optimized as I want to get. Uh, but I understand if people want to go, go harder. And so it sounds like you went a little harder and you found some success. Uh, but yeah, let's move on, Matt. Let's mention the beer that we're having on this episode. This one is called Volume Integral. It's by Pontoon Brewing. And a listener, Miguel, actually gave this one to us at our recent listener hangout in Atlanta. So thanks, Miguel. It was nice meeting you. And yeah. thanks for sharing your beer. But uh, let's keep going, Matt. Let's uh, get to the topic at hand. We're talking about the weird science behind irrational money decisions. And... If you were to ask people, Matt, I think a lot of people would say, I check my phone, I don't know, 20, 30 times a day. But yet stats actually show us that most Americans unlock their phone something like 160 times. The thing is, we often underestimate uh, ourselves when it comes to our patterns and our behaviors. And yeah, if you actually look at the Screen Time app to see what your cell phone usage actually looks like in real life, you might find that it's a drastic difference from what your perception is. Basically, we humans were not the best when it comes to self-awareness. And that is why we decided to create this episode, because when it comes to your money, that lack of self-awareness can really wreak havoc in many of the decisions that you make. But knowing some of the most popular behavioral finance terms, defining them, and then understanding your tendency, linking that actual pattern of behavior to how you actually react in certain circumstances, it can help you improve how you react in the heat of the moment. And so that's really what this episode is about. That's what we want to achieve here. 
That's right. Yeah, we don't always know why we act the way that we do. And, you know, sometimes we are incredibly well-reasoned, but other times we just go with our gut on a whim. It probably depends on, you know, like the different, what what day of the week it is, the mood that we're in. What you have for breakfast. (laughs) the, The specific situation that you find yourself in. But we feel that by understanding and naming some of these different behavioral economic terms, uh, that we might be more successful in quickly reaching our financial goals. Uh, we believe that if we understand our tendency to make irrational decisions, that we might be more inclined to second guess our gut reactions uh, and to think differently about how uh, and why it is that we make these decisions in the first place. Basically, we'll be more open to the enormous reality of our own flawed decision making. I think just by naming it, we're going to see better outcomes. Uh, it kind of removes some of the fear from the things that we're doing. Like, and that's the thing, though, like when it comes to our different behaviors, like we, we aren't scared of them. Like, and sometimes I think we should have a healthy fear of them. Like, it makes me think of with our girls. Uh, when there's a thunderstorm, they get scared, right? Like it's, it's loud, it's intimidating, it scares them. But Kate and I, like we work to explain to them, hey, you know, it's actually causing that lightning and that thunder. It's just when two clouds bump into each other, creates this thing called static electricity. And we've done this thing before where we have them get down on the, you know, like we'll have them walk by each other and bump into each other. And they think it's silly and they laugh and they fall down and it makes a lot of noise, that kind of thing. And so by talking about it by naming it, it makes something like this less scary, less intimidating. And that's our goal today with some of these behavioral money terms. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the goal here is to kind of take us down a notch in our own eyes and realize the mistakes that we have the potential to make uh, rather than assuming the best about ourselves, maybe not thinking the worst, but at least being cognizant of the reality of the mistakes we're prone to. And yeah, behavioral finance, Matt, has, has really become its own field of study in recent decades. Uh, you know, We've had some experts in this space on the show before. Daniel Crosby and Morgan Housel are two guys yeah. that come to mind who just write brilliantly about this subject. And you know other major influencers in this space in the past, a couple of the guys who have been the most influential are Danny Kahneman and Richard Thaler. But the, the simplest way to describe this field of study, it's basically a marriage between finance and psychology. And that doesn't necessarily do it justice or explain you know, how deep this, uh, this field of study goes, but it's an attempt to figure out why humans behave the way they do even when, or especially when, that behavior turns out to be in their own worst interest and often when it comes to their their money, their investing behavior. Behavior finance, really, it's seeking to find whether we act rationally or irrationally or often a combo of the two. And so, yeah, we're going to discuss some of the more popular behavioral finance terms in today's episode over these past 30 years, the ones that have risen to the top that have shed the most light on human behavior and how those impact how you save, how you spend, and how you invest your money and just being aware (laughs) that these things are at play in your psyche, in the background, uh, when you're in that act of decision-making is going to help you make better decisions in the future. That's right. And it's important to note that incentives, um, they are the main driver behind economic theory in general. Incentives are powerful and they are just a consistent reality in our everyday lives. Uh, a little incentive here or there can change you know, how much it is that we give to charity or whether we invest or not at all. Uh, even what, what type of car we decide to buy. Joel, I know that actually had an impact on you with the uh, EV tax credit a That's few right. years ago. Yeah. Uh, or even when to buy a home. I mean, that's, you know, the first time home buyer credit back in 2000 and nine, uh, that is when you and I, when we individually, we didn't buy a home together, <laughs> but we didn't even know each other actually at the time. But during that year, we were both incentivized to purchase our first homes. And so understanding what forces are at play in our decisions, you know, what is 
pushing us in certain directions uh, is crucial so that we can make better decisions for ourselves and for our families and to not just respond to the most intense stimulus that we might encounter. And so these different incentives, whether they be carrots or sticks, these are some of the, the basic building blocks of behavioral finance. Yeah, so now that we know like incentives govern everything and our behavior can be erratic based on the different incentives involved, and let's kind of dig into some of the, the terms that behavioral finance has popularized. And nudge is one of those terms that has kind of been popularized. And, and uh, who, someone I mentioned, Richard Thaler, who's a uh, professor at the University of Chicago School of Economics, well, he has talked about nudge theory the most, he even wrote a book about it. And he's been talking about it for over a decade now. And he has discussed the many ways that we are nudged into certain choices, right? Where uh, one of the examples that he gives is talking about where food is placed in a buffet or in a grocery store and how that determines how often people opt for those foods. Uh, you know, we're not necessarily being strong-armed into choosing a salad, but if the salad comes before the burger, we're more likely to choose it. Whereas if the burger's right in front of our face, we might opt for that instead. And yeah, he says we're prone to make a choice based on the way things are presented to us by what he calls choice architects. And one of the most effective nudges that we've seen are automatic enrollments into workplace-sponsored 401ks. Instead of being given a choice and saying yes or no, you're automatically opted in and you have to decide to say no. Instead, you have to actively do something in order to ensure that your money is not going into your 401k if your workplace opts for auto enrollment. So those kinds of nudges, when you notice some, they, they can be, there can be helpful nudges, there can be unhelpful nudges. A calendar reminder can be a powerful help uh, so that you actually do what you want to do. But noticing where nudges are and how they're impacting your decision making can be really helpful so that you're not just, like Matt said earlier, responding to like the loudest stimulus that's in front of you. For instance, when you're scrolling Instagram and there's basically one in four things that you see on that app is a nudge to buy something or to click. And if you realize that, it might be a little, a little bit easier to refrain from doing so. Or even like what you said, Joel, creating a calendar reminder, like creating your own nudge to do the behavior, to, you know, to follow through with the actions that you want to see yourself do. Even today, I still have a calendar reminder uh, at the beginning of every month. That's a notification to make sure that I have paid the previous month's credit card balances. We were talking about credit cards earlier. If you're not on top of that, it can get out of hand. But that's one of the small things that you can do to make sure that you are you know, following through and, and successfully keeping up with your, your finances. Uh, so Joel, you know, speaking of nudges, default bias. Uh, this is the term at play here when it comes to nudges. And it's an effective way to get people to do something because it doesn't require any action. Uh, this is especially effective when the right decision is difficult to to know or when there are a lot of different options. Uh, too many choices can lead to decision fatigue uh, and it'll often cause us to go with the flow, continuing to make the decisions that we've always made because that is what is familiar to us. Uh, this can play out in hundreds of different ways from what we eat for breakfast to where we shop to the, the different investments that we choose. Going with a default isn't always bad, but we do want you to question the options that are laid out before you because oftentimes the standard default option may not be the best option for you. Yeah, just because you've been eating golden grams every morning for decades, that doesn't mean you should keep doing it, right? Like, that's become your default. Unless uh, you really love golden grams, and yeah. that's fine. As it, long it, as you're actively making that decision. <laughs> and if you're eating carrots and apples for lunch, and uh, then, you know what? Maybe you can splurge and <laughs> use some of 
some of your crummy calories on those golden grams. But uh, just because you've been doing it doesn't mean you should keep doing it. You should question that move. And, and just because you've been working with a financial advisor who charges big fees for his or her services, that doesn't mean you should keep doing that either. Have you already gotten the advice you needed? Can you now go it alone and feel comfortable doing that? Maybe it's time to leave. And also, just because you're biased towards saving money instead of investing your money, that doesn't mean you should keep going in that direction either, right? Questioning all of those default assumptions, being open to alternative viewpoints is so helpful in our life and in our finances. We don't want you to be blown about by every new idea that comes along. It's not that new is always better than old, but you also don't want to remain stubbornly entrenched doing things the way that you've done up until this point, continuing to do what you've always done without questioning it. Yeah. And oftentimes I think it's, it's not necessarily that we have a really strong opinion as to why it is that we're doing what we, we're doing. It's just because it was you know, you chose it once and then you continue going down that path, right? And I think oftentimes it can be helpful to think through like who set that initial default option, like who set that standard way of thinking. And oftentimes it's our parents. And in some cases that that can be a really good thing, depending on uh, the guidance that they've given us. But sometimes it cannot be a good thing. <laughs> and so it's worth thinking through why it is that we're doing the things that we're doing uh, and whether or not we can make some, some better decisions in the future. Yeah, I think that act of questioning can either lead us to a new conclusion or it can give us greater levels of certainty when it comes to the route that we have been taking. And so that act of questioning, though, just builds confidence either way <laughs> that we're either making yeah. the wrong move, we got to make a change or that, hey, you know what? Now I know the reason that I'm doing the thing that I've been doing for the last 10 years. I realized those golden grams were uh, a, an on-purpose choice that I'm glad I'm making. <laughs> and so, yeah, whatever it is, you just want to make sure that you're, that act of questioning is happening because it's going to help lead you to the best outcome. Yeah. Uh, there, there are more behavioral finance terms that we've got to cover in this episode, Matt, some of which can cause us to become runaway spenders or just terrible investors. And we'll, we'll get to some of those right after this break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at AARP.org slash wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, 
You already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back and we're talking about some of the different behavioral finance terms and we're explaining how it is that they lead us to do the things that we do. We're going to talk here in a little bit about confirmation bias and the halo effect. But first, Joel, let's talk about hedonic adaptation. One of my favorites. Yeah, this is one we know we've actually covered this in depth before on the show. But that was actually a long time ago. Uh, but it's basically the tendency of humans to quickly return to a, a pretty stable level of happiness despite major positive or major negative events or, or life changes that happen to us. So, Joel, for instance, uh, did your team win the World Series recently? No, it's been a while, actually. <laughs> when it did happen, I mean, and I was excited as well, but when it happened, we were pumped, right? Yep. You more so than me. There might uh, be a couple of tears that night. Y- y- really? You cried a little Almost, bit? Almost, yeah. I don't know. When I saw Freddie, <laughs> I, it made me happy. You felt good for him, right? <laughs> he's been, the, yeah, he's been with the Braves for so long. Long but time. You were, I mean, you were, I'm sure you were ecstatic. You were probably living on cloud nine for the, for that day and maybe the next couple of days at least. Uh, but if it happened a while ago, which, you know, that's kind of where we are at this point, it, it probably doesn't nearly feel as great of a thing in your life. It probably, that, that victory barely registers on your radar, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's died down. The joy of the victory has died down quite a bit. Yeah, you're not waking up every morning like, yeah, the Braves, we're number one. <laughs> <laughs> Eyes are already turned for so many Braves fans. rules. <laughs> To next season, you want to like repeat, you know? Yeah, and so hedonic adaptation, uh, it can have positive and negative benefits for us as humans. And so a a positive outcome is that it allows us to move past traumatic events. For instance, there was some research done uh, with quadriplegics, and they measured their happiness immediately after the accident that caused that loss. Uh, But then they, you know, what they learned is that over time, 
they kind of resumed their basic uh, baseline of happiness. And so this is a way that hedonic adaptation is a good thing. But when it comes to our money and how it is that we spend, it also means that we are able to quickly adjust to a higher standard of living. It's just easy for our expectations to exceed our budgets. And it's not that you should keep your standards so low that you don't desire financial progress that leads to greater wealth accumulation and some of the healthy lifestyle goals that can accompany that success. But the tendency to continue to spend in order to achieve greater levels of happiness is real. So many of us are blinded by that pursuit of just more and more, thinking that that is what's going to make us happy. Um, But those levels of happiness when we spend, when we consume, are just incredibly short-lived. And so you've got to go back to the well for that next purchase in order to continue to maintain that same baseline level of happiness that you had before it can really become this never-ending cycle that leaves you with more stuff and less money at the end of the day. So we would say be sure to pay special attention to hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill, as it's also called, which mm-hmm. makes a whole lot of sense because like you never stop running. like You just keep bumping up the speed little doesn't, by little. doesn't matter how fast you're cranking on that thing. You're not getting anywhere. You're not getting any, yeah, you're still in the same spot. Exactly. And, and so we would say that gratitude and discipline are the major ways to combat the ugly effects of the hedonic treadmill. To be thankful for what you have, truly thankful to name it and to say it out loud, to talk about it with your significant other with your kids. Those are the kind of things that are going to move the needle, creating less of a desire to pursue more things because you've already got enough that makes you happy. And discipline is another major piece of the puzzle because the more we can say no to things that look nice uh, because we realize the limiting happiness that they're able to provide, the better off we're going to be too. That's true, man. Uh, Let's talk about overconfidence because this is our next behavioral finance term. And maybe it's it's less of a term and it's more kind of a general attitude. Uh, But this is a good one to become acquainted with because sometimes a little bit of knowledge can be worse than none at all. This is something that we've often heard. Uh, The smartest folks out there can be the most susceptible to thinking that they've got, you know, all the right answers, that they've got it all figured out. For instance, there's a study where doctors, they assume that freebies that they receive from the different uh, pharmaceutical companies, that they impact their fellow doctor's judgment, but they don't believe that it impacts their own judgment. It's a rate of something like 60% where they believe that it impacts others, whereas for themselves, they they only think it's like 16%, uh, significantly less. They're like, I'm Teflon, they're not. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so overconfidence is just this consistent flaw uh, amongst human beings, uh, but especially males. We actually recently came across some surveys uh, that showed that females' portfolios drastically outperformed their male counterparts. And that's largely due to the fact that due to their overconfidence, males are buying and selling stocks or funds within their portfolio too often. They're messing with it too much because they have confidence that they can beat the market when in reality they can't. Yeah. And just like you said, sometimes a small bit of knowledge can be worse than none at all. Well, I think that a small win or two can help create even more overconfidence and can lead to even more disastrous results in the end. There's a lot of people flying high in today's market that has seen extraordinary gains. Uh, But (laughs) what's going to happen with some of the people who have gotten overconfident, who continue to trade frequently and who continue to take riskier bets? That remains to be seen. But uh, here's what we would say. If you want to combat overconfidence in your life, don't listen to the forecasters. In part, 
typically because they're wrong uh, when they're calling out price targets for different individual stocks or cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Those price targets are all across the board, depending on who you're listening to. But another reason not to listen is because it can bolster your confidence in the wrong direction. The truly smart person has a deep understanding that even as they learn more, they're also seeing a distinct rise in the amount of information they realize they don't know or understand. And it's not false humility. It's this real understanding that as we gain more insight, we also see how deep that field of study goes and how much more there is to know. It's kind of like studying outer space and seeing the Milky Way and then realizing that there are uh, many, many, many more galaxies <laughs> outside of the Milky Way. And thinking that you know everything about space, I can't imagine there's any astronomers or astrophysicists who, who would say, I know everything there is to know about space. And it's almost <laughs> as though the more the heavens get open to us, the more like superior images we get from these magnificent telescopes, that there's a greater realization of the lack of knowledge that we actually have mm -hmm. when it comes to the depths of what space holds. And so, yeah, you don't have to dive to the bottom of the knowledge well necessarily, but it's important to know that there's a gap that exists, that always exists. And it brings, I think, a necessary level of caution to the decisions that you make and to the actions that you take. You know, and one of the forces at play that can cause us to become overly confident is confirmation bias. Uh, most folks, they don't want to have their mind changed, <laughs> right? Whether we're talking about uh, culture wars, uh, politics, you know, different views that we have about money, we all love to be told that we're right. And to that end, we'll even cherry pick data uh, or different anecdotal evidence and, and advice in order to support a decision that we've already made, that we've, we've made a long time ago, and we're just looking for the pieces of information to bolster our argument. We're just looking for someone to come along and agree with us. Exactly. And so to avoid confirmation bias in every avenue of our lives, it's crucial to expose ourselves to smart people with whom we might not fully agree to expose ourselves to different opinions. We've got to listen to the best idea of the other side. Oftentimes, you'll see this specifically with cryptocurrencies. There are a lot of strong opinions out there when it comes to crypto and different coins uh, and the folks that you'll hear uh, touting how great it is the loudest are folks obviously who are bought in 100% they believe it's the future but they don't know it nobody knows what the future holds and so it might take uh, someone who is a more traditional investor to actually listen to, to that person to hear their points but on the other side of the coin somebody who is dead set 100% on it should probably hear the arguments of somebody who is approaching crypto a little more skeptically there just aren't a lot of individuals who are approaching some of these conversations with a balanced head and who are willing to hear both sides of the argument in order to make a balanced and informed decision we don't like nuance Matt nope. in this country and, uh, and and really I think as humans that's a human default is an inability or a difficulty in seeing nuance and so yeah I completely agree one of the one of the best ways to combat confirmation bias is to be willing to have your mind changed and to proactively listen to the best arguments that are taking place on the other side and so uh, whether it's a political or a money belief you want to say okay well I actually want to have that idea challenged and if it holds up to scrutiny uh, if I still continue to believe the way I do now after listening to the top crypto expert and saying, actually, they make a good point here and here, and so maybe I should have some exposure. Or you might walk away from that conversation saying, I still don't agree, uh, but at least you heard them out. And I think that's yeah. a really important step so that you're not just following your own gut. You're listening to outside voices that can make a major impact on your eventual decision. And Matt, one other behavioral finance term that falls under this umbrella is the halo effect. Um, it's another social force at play. And this is basically when we attribute universal attributes towards someone based on a singular 
unrelated judgment. And those are really big words. But what that means, <laughs> you, you, you might encounter someone who's looking to sell you a complex financial product, something like a universal life insurance policy for your new baby. And uh, <laughs> that sounds scary. Like, run away from that person. Uh, but, there is no baby who needs universal life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> run away, babies. Run away. And, uh, and so, yeah, basically, it could be that this person's incredibly friendly. Maybe they're good looking too and they've got a good smile and they just um, nice firm handshake yeah (laughs) and they just project confidence success and you're like oh i want to do business with this person you you might be tempted to assume that whatever they're selling you is something that you should be buying but no alas that's the halo effect taking place that is this this person's like gentle calm demeanor brilliant smile uh causing you to do something that you otherwise know to be a terrible idea buying a crummy life insurance policy yeah. for your baby. And so uh, that's one of those things where you want to be careful who the messenger is and go back and take some time to deliberate. Like, is this a good idea? Or was I just kind of being convinced by someone who's really good at the art of persuasion, who's like just a, a really friendly individual? You want to make sure that you're not being hoodwinked even by someone who appears to be a great person. That's right. I mean, that's why sales pays so well for certain individuals because they have found a career, an industry where they are able to shine. I think another instance where we see the halo effect at play is like if you've met somebody that went to the university that you went to it's like oh you're a uga uh, alumni as well so you automatically think oh they're a good person we've got shared life experiences we speak the same language that kind of thing but it is not necessarily indicative of what it is they're trying to sell if they're trying to sell you something and regarding what they're selling too like it doesn't necessarily have to even be a terrible product like it could be something that's decent but that's just where your individual life goals come into play It could be something that maybe is good for, I don't know, 20 years from now, this would be a good idea for you. Or if maybe you're in a different, completely different situation, this is a product uh, or this is a service that you would be all about. But for you, it may not be. And it would behoove you to reflect on that decision. Yeah. You don't need that long-term care insurance at the age of 28. And you definitely don't (laughs) need, what did we say, that uh, universal life insurance policy for- For your new baby. That's not something uh, that we recommend. (laughs) Right. And yeah. And so sometimes you just need to take a step back and realize, hey, I'm naturally- uh, I have a natural affinity for this person based on this, this, or that, but take a step back and give it some time and do some research on your own to make sure you're making the right decision for you. Don't make a rush decision in the moment. That's right. Let's talk about loss aversion. This is another behavioral finance term. And and sometimes I feel that overconfidence and loss aversion are are actually acting in opposite directions. Uh, Overconfidence can lead to a choice that ultimately results in higher losses than we otherwise maybe would have experienced. But then loss aversion is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it says that we fear losses more than we appreciate gains. So basically, an example of this is we feel it more when the market takes a 10% dip impacting our investments than when our 401k balance is going to be up by 10%. Uh, in fact, it's actually it's widely accepted that losses feel twice as bad as gains of the same amount. And so for you know, your 401k balance would actually need to be up by 20% in order for those to feel equivalent. You would think that they would have the same type of impact, you know, the 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 amounts that are the same. You would think that they would feel like that they would have the same type of impact on us emotionally and and psychologically, but because of our tendency to fear loss more, it actually has an outsized impact on how we behave. Yeah, we'd be equally as devastated as we would be overjoyed if we 20 bucks fell out of our wallet versus someone handed us 40 bucks, which is just fascinating to realize that it takes twice as much gain. (laughs) It's such a weird thing to note about human nature. It's that weird science, dog. Yeah, it's the weird science, exactly. (laughs) And that loss aversion can cause us to become 
too conservative when it comes to our investments. We we fear loss so much that we don't take the risk that we need to take in order to grow our wealth. By choosing funds that might be less volatile, we're able to ensure that we never experience too much loss, that we never feel that pain. But here's the thing, a more volatile stock-heavy portfolio is going to, in the long run, if you're a younger investor, end up generating more wealth for you over time. So, so how do you combat loss aversion so that you can stick to the plan and invest in a way that you need to take enough risk, not just keep your money hidden in a savings account. We would say, don't get too emotional when it comes to your portfolio. Write down an investment plan and stick to it. And then take the app off your phone because that might be causing you to make emotional trades in the moment. The more involved you are in the data J gyrations of your investments, the more likely you are to make changes after a day in which there's been poor performance. But ultimately, if you have a written down plan, you can go back to it and say, no, 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 <laughs> this is a long-term investment. These short-term losses mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. And so I get it, losses never feel good, but they're a part of the cycle of building wealth over time. Yeah, and not only is a written plan helpful when you're seeing losses, but even as the market's going up. I, I mean, I've seen this in my own life that the ability to refer back to my investment plan has kept me continuing to invest when I didn't feel like I wanted to. Because as the market goes up, you think, oh man, we're at all-time highs. <laughs> and I mean, this is where I was even earlier this year. The market has come so far since the beginning of this year. But the beginning of this year, the, I mean, the markets were at all, you know, we're at all all-time highs, basically. They've basically been at all-time highs for most of the last decade. Yes! And it was difficult for me to say, ooh, like, do I want to fully fund my Roth IRA <laughs> at the beginning of the year? And instead, what I did was I just referred to my plan and I said, yes, that's what I, I, do. I am going to do it. Like, this is what I do. And I'm glad because had I not, I would have potentially been sitting on money that you know would have missed out on over 30% uh, in gains that we've seen this year, which is just mind-blowing. Uh, but I think this loss aversion, man, it, it has effects on not just our investments, but I was thinking about it from the standpoint of like employment, because we might be in a job that we don't really love, but our ingrained aversion to loss keeps us there when maybe instead we would be better served to maybe ask for a raise or start looking for another position. But whether it be because we don't want to be rejected, like that is a type of loss, right? Like that is you being told no, as opposed to you being told, yes, you are hired. <laughs> whether it's that or like from the standpoint of entrepreneurship, if that's you being afraid of lost income, as opposed to, okay, well, maybe I'll just stay because I can continue to receive that nice steady paycheck. I think those are both, whether it be the, the rejection standpoint or the financial standpoint, those are both ways that I think keep people tied to jobs that they don't necessarily love. Uh, and it keeps more people from entrepreneurship who might be much happier and much more successful in something completely new. Yeah, for sure. Losing stinks, but ultimately you got to lose some to win some, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so that is part of the process in life that we are going to incur losses. And for those of us who refuse to put ourselves at risk, we're actually going to experience the most severe losses. All right, we've got more behavioral finance terms that we, we have to cover in this episode, including one called the IKEA effect. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we'll figure out what the Swedes are up to right after this break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? 
AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. 
All right, we are back from the break, and we are talking still about how we are so irrational, not only with our lives, but with our money, oftentimes. You, me, all of us. We all do it, man. <laughs> None of us are immune from these tendencies, and if you think you're immune from these behavioral tendencies... You better check yourself. You need to like <laughs> dig another level deeper because I think for those of us who think that's eh, probably I don't struggle with that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We probably actually need to look even more deeply at the fact that there's some deep rooted behavioral issues in our lives. Yeah, that, going going back to the attitude of overconfidence. Yeah, like, if you are confident in your ability <laughs> to, to, to not avoid be these over, mistakes, <laughs> to not be overconfident, yeah. well, you're probably overconfident. <laughs> uh, but let's keep moving. Man. Let's talk about the endowment effect. Uh, this is when you own something, you tend to value it more. So does this mean that hoarders have an extreme case of the endowment effect? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, and research shows that if you bought an item with cash, that you place even more value on it. Uh, and so, practically speaking, in our in our day-to-day lives, the endowment effect can impact our ability to have a peaceful home that's clear of clutter and junk. Uh, it keeps us from doing something simple, like giving away possessions that we no longer use or selling those possessions. But the endowment effect can also cause us to become irrational in, in believing that the thing that we own is, is worth more than the market says it is. And so we're going to tie this again to investing because you might have a fund in your portfolio, uh, maybe that you purchased a while ago. And since then, though, you've learned the error of your ways and you realize that, oh my gosh, the expense ratio on this thing is 1.1, which is ridiculous. Nobody should be paying that high for uh, any type of index or mutual fund out there. But because you already own it, you are hesitant in actually selling that thing off because, well, it's my expensive mutual fund. (laughs) It's within your portfolio and we have this attachment to things that are already in our possession. And so this is an instance where you just need to cut ties with that thing and let it go. You know the right thing that you need to do. And we're here to give you that extra little kick, that extra little nudge to get you to actually sell it. Ooh, back to the nudge. I like that. Yeah, this could take place too, Matt. Let's say someone received an inheritance and that inheritance has sentimental value. Uh, Let's say it's a home from a deceased relative. Well, what you think it's worth in your mind because you're attached to that place. Maybe you have childhood memories in that home. Well, you think it's worth 400,000, but this estimate says it's worth 285. And you just have the hardest time believing that that's what it's worth because you value it more highly. And it's okay that that home is important to you, yeah. but it certainly doesn't mean if you put it on the open market, that's what you can right. rest it for. <laughs> exactly. It's okay that to you, it means more to you because of the sentimental reasons. And for that reason that you decide not to sell it for 285, because you know what, that extra 100, you know, 100K plus, that means more to you in a sentimental way than it does to some somebody else uh, when it comes to their money. Yeah. Okay. On the same note, let's talk about the sunk cost fallacy because that that really has a, a lot of similarities. It's not too far removed really from the endowment effect. It's, uh, it's where we have a similar hardship getting rid of something if we've already spent money uh, to head in that direction. And Matt, uh, just to give a local example here, this makes me think of Plant Vodal in Georgia. We're building a nuclear power plant right now, which is great. I'm kind of I was cool with that when they announced it. I'm like, great nuclear power. I think that's a good thing. But what's not great is how expensive this project has become. It seems like every year the price tag has risen substantially on this project, and the timeline has been extended further and further out. And so we're talking about years and years of delays and probably double the cost. But the sunk cost fallacy has been at play in this every time they've extended the deadline and increased the budget because there have been many occasions along the way where it made sense just to cut your losses and to stop building this plant 
but that never happened. And that happens all the time in our own lives too, where we fail to cut bait, where we fail to retreat from the course we're on because we've already put money in that direction and it makes it just that much harder for us to make the pivot that needs to be made. That's right. And when you should be cutting bait, hopefully you're not doubling down and you know sinking even more money into it. Yeah. It's uh, like in Vegas when you've lost a hundred bucks and you're like, I'm going to make it back. Going back to the ATM. <laughs> I'm going to double down. And it's like, how, how often does that end well? Yeah, man. And let's go ahead and now get to the Ikea effect. You hinted uh, at this earlier. The, the Ikea effect is really similar. Uh, when you've invested not only money, but labor into something, your perceived value of that item then goes up even more. Uh, so if you spend all that time putting, putting together a wardrobe, uh, this is why it's called the Ikea effect, right? Because it, it takes time <laughs> to put together that dresser. Blood, sweat, tears, and cuss words. <laughs> it's not going to be just the money that it costs to purchase that item that's at stake. It's the time that you invested into it as well. And so, you know, we see this with media that we consume as, as well. Like, you know, you might have started reading a book or, you know, maybe you started a movie that, that ends up being boring. Uh, but you keep going because you feel like you had to follow through on your commitment. This is another kind of more personal example that, that happens to folks all the time. Uh, instead of cutting our losses and, and taking the hit, we continue to hope and you know we pray <laughs> that things are going to turn around. And what you know, while you, like you shouldn't alter your attitude towards investing because of a down month in the market, like you also shouldn't ignore new information when it comes along just because uh, it might cause you to to shift your behavior. You want to make sure that you aren't being swayed by the fact that you've already dumped a ton of time into something that is not ending up to be profitable. Yeah, I guess one example of this, Matt, could be someone researching the purchase of a new car. And they've spent hours and hours on multiple <laughs> nights for a month and a half. And now they realize, wait a second, this doesn't really fit into my budget in the same way. But if I don't go ahead and buy this car, this is a bunch of wasted time. And, um, and I'm not getting that time back. But that would be an example of that Ikea effect where you have spent your time, your effort, your labor to do this research, but ultimately don't let that sway your decision. Um, if it's not a good financial decision, don't do it. So those are the, some of the more popular behavioral finance terms, some of the ones we found most interesting that influence the ways that we spend and think about money, the ways that we invest, and they can have a really big impact on our ability to grow wealth for our future, to curb our own spending decisions if we're not careful. And so what do we do about this, right? We've, we've talked about that a little bit, but there is the problem that there are so many different behavioral terms and it might be difficult to recall or to name them in the moment. <laughs> like when you're experiencing overconfidence, calling it out uh, at the same time is difficult to do. But we would say that there are some steps that you can take to keep you from falling into these default ways of behaving. And you know, we just have like a few suggestions to make. The first one is to hit pause. Don't make decisions too hastily. And instead, ask yourself why it is you feel the way you do. Or why is it that you're wanting to take that action? We'd say go another level deeper because you might find some of these biases at work. And sometimes all it takes is hitting that pause button and taking a step back to think, removing yourself from the immediate temptation that you're facing so that you can make a better decision. Totally, man. I, I think that this is the number number one top thing we need to do, hitting pause and asking ourselves why. Like basically before you do anything with your money, why? Like that is the question you need to ask yourself because regardless of what arena we're talking about, I think you asking why do I want to do this can cause you to make a better decision, right? And so, for instance, when it comes to spending money, why do I want this thing? Is it something that is truly necessary or do I just want it? And it's okay to buy something if you just want it, but do you 
really want it or do you just kind of want it because you're bored, yeah. <laughs> right? And even something more wholesome, like saving money. Okay, why is it that you want to save that money? Why not instead, are you not investing that money? Like instead, why aren't you putting that money at quote unquote risk and actually growing it? Uh, because the real risk, as we all know, is if your money just sits there in your savings account and it's getting eaten away by inflation. But again, questioning why, unless, okay, so I'm going through some of the different, different ways we can ask ourselves why. Investing, if you feel the urge to invest money, that's a great thing. But oftentimes, you know, we might be tempted to put our money towards something that is more spe- speculative. And so the latest meme stock or different crypto coin that's come that's coming along and you think, oh, there's a chance I can with a hundred bucks, I could buy like 10 million of these coins. <laughs> and what if I had 10 million of a coin that's worth a th- just a thousand bucks? That would be. I don't know. What's the math on that? Add three zeros to yeah, 10 million. That, that would yeah. be a lot of money. Uh, but like, do you need that money? Like, Think through the reasons behind the actions that you want to take. We think that that definitely could lead you to making some better decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a step back, getting out of the emotional state that you're in is helpful. And, and another way to combat some of those behavioral tendencies that we have to make you know, irrational money decisions, to make mistakes, is to get input from others. Even if you have that level of awareness to hit the pause button and to say, oh, you know, I wanted to buy that thing. I'm taking a 48 hour rule and I am waiting to actually hit purchase until then. And, you know, you might forget about it altogether in those 48 hours and forget that you were trying to buy it in the first place. But it's important to involve other smart folks in difficult money decisions, Uh, probably ones that go beyond that one random purchase. But uh, this includes... Unless you're talking about a car or or a house. (laughs) Yeah, something that's like substantial. Or or timeshare. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, you're just your $10 Amazon purchase. Probably not. But uh, for those bigger purchases, involving other people is helpful. And this includes people that you don't always agree with. The goal, we would say, is to get more food for thought, not just to have your preconceived notions confirmed. And so, yeah, that combination of time and wisdom from other people goes a long way to ensure that you're not just convincing yourself that what you're uh, inclined to do is actually best for you. You're getting a third-party opinion, uh, hopefully from someone who knows what they're talking about and who can help provide uh, maybe a little bit of devil's advocate for you, like that, that's going to help you make a better, more informed decision. Even if you continue forward down the path that you're going forward, maybe you'll do it in a different way. That's right. And we would also recommend that you implement some technology that's going to help you out. Automation is going to help you to achieve some of the important stuff uh, in your life. The more that you can put the good decisions on autopilot, the less of your brain's resources that you'll need to use uh, in that decision-making process. It is worth noting that a decent chunk of our you know, different technology that's out there isn't aimed at helping us, but there are some helpful apps and different sites out there who are trying to help. Specifically, Acorns, they will round up when you uh, spend some money to help you to save money. YNAB and Capital, they are both uh, other apps out there that incorporate elements of behavioral finance to help you to achieve your goals. You don't have to get there just through the use of just raw self-discipline, where it's just like you and the desert and the sun <laughs> where you're just like trekking across you know the sand it's just like well you could like catch an uber and uh, get there and survive <laughs> like there are ways to use technology i don't know i shouldn't have used that example but there, there's <laughs> there are ways that we can use technology and it like we don't want you to make your life intentionally hard does uber pick you up in the gobi desert or well i mean if you're on the road you okay. know you're like i don't know i'm picturing that like route 66 kind of thing <laughs> like you don't have to just like cut straight across the desert utilize the technology that is at our fingertips that's going to help you to achieve the goals that you want to achieve yeah like one of my favorite robo investing platforms betterment they do a great job at like 
holding people's hands when they're trying to make a decision whether they want to sell or buy. And so, yeah, there are these technologies now that incorporate these elements of behavioral finance that can help us make better decisions. And so, yeah, I agree with that one, Matt. Uh, Last tip for people is to reward yourself for making progress. Because another element of behavioral finance is that immediate positive rewards have a huge impact on our desire to continue the action that resulted in that reward. So if you can give yourself some sort of treat for doing good things, you're likely to continue to do those good things. We would say, don't reward yourself for arbitrary things like, hey, the market did great today and my you know, my holdings are up 3%. Well, that's not something you actually had control over. Instead, <laughs> give yourself maybe a reward for thought out behaviors like increasing the amount that you're contributing to retirement instead. That's something you can do. You can have control over the amount of money that's going in that account. Yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting about rewarding yourself for good behavior is that the different behavioral finance terms that we've already talked about, they are in and of themselves their own reward. The reason that we do them is because our body, our minds, whatever, they want to do those things. And so we don't need to necessarily reward ourselves for exhibiting uh, the halo effect. It's like, well, no, that's just naturally what your body does. Whereas taking the the difficult steps and being disciplined, say, about saving more towards retirement, when you're first getting started, you're not necessarily going to feel good about that. You know that you should be doing that thing, but there isn't this natural high that comes along with that unless you've been able to rewire the way you think. And that's essentially what we're talking about doing here. Uh, And then hopefully over time, you do get a natural high. Every time you invest some more money in the market, you feel good about yourself because you know what that is eventually going to lead to. uh, And these small rewards go a long way in getting us to that point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we'd say like money is this complicated thing, right? And humans are complicated too. But we wanted to cover some of the important research that's been performed over the last few decades because it's really provided helpful insights into our quirky human tendencies towards irrationality. Uh, And yeah, so just being cognizant of those tendencies goes a long way. And But even beyond that, there are things that we can do to combat our own worst intuitions that are going to lead to improvement as individuals. And it's going to help us be better when it comes to saving, spending, and investing our money. You're not going to be perfect. Along the way, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to find yourself after the fact saying, you know what? That was the one I succumbed to. I was overconfident in that moment. Or uh, the sunk cost fallacy set in and I uh, held on to that thing that I should have sold. But you can avoid some of the worst kinds of reactions that lead to financial harm just by realizing these things uh, exist and then implementing some of the tips that we suggested. That's right, dude. We are irrational beings. And the more we realize that, I think the better decisions we're going to make. Uh, Let's go ahead and get back to our beer. This episode, you and I enjoyed a volume integral. This is by Pontoon Brewing in collaboration with Ology Brewing. And dude, this is the first time we've ever had a Pontoon beer on the show. I'm not even sure if I've ever had one IRL. Pontoon, they are based out of Atlanta. Uh, This is a local brewery for us. And I'm glad that we're able to finally get around to enjoying one of their beers. But uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, well, we only got to enjoy it thanks to listener of the show, Miguel. So Thank you, Miguel. Thanks, Miguel. Yes. And yeah, this beer I thought was really tasty. Again, I, I... think I'm the same. I don't think I'd ever had a pontoon brewing beer. And this one was delicious. Like it was kind of everything I expect out of a hazy IPA these days. Uh And it wasn't too much. It was sweet, but not overly sweet. It was kind of like striking that right balance for me. I I really enjoyed it. So you want to hear one one of my weird tasting notes? Yeah, please. Okay. You know, when you doodle a bunch on a page and there's just a lot of ballpoint 
pen ink yeah it has a certain smell like, ah. it smells like ink right i felt like this had i don't it's weird to say but it had notes of ballpoint pen ink <laughs> but here's the best part i liked it <laughs> so pontoon is not calling you to write their beer can descriptions anytime soon it, it, it tastes like you've been uh, doodling on a page all, all day and then you sniffed it i don't know it's, it's just got a certain smell and i agree it totally had those double hazy ipa notes that you typically get right like so the hops you get that some of those orange juice notes you get some of that bitterness from the hops uh, but also maybe a touch of ink i really liked it but that's enough of me being a weirdo <laughs> yeah i'd like to get a highlight reel of all your weirdest beer reviews because you tend to give a lot of abnormal ones uh, i would say i like to give notes of things that you don't normally eat or drink yeah <laughs> but miguel seriously we are incredibly thankful of your generosity thank you for uh, donating this one to the show we really appreciate it and joel that's going to be it for this episode as always, listeners can find our show notes up on the website at howtomoney.com. No doubt. That's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.